0: Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show, we are back, the Libertadores group stage has returned, we are delighted, we had an exciting week, lots of fun, lots of big teams losing to small teams, who needs a European Super League when football can be this interesting, exciting and unpredictable. Ah, I'm delighted to say on this week's episode we're welcoming back the great Adam Brandon who's been away for, for a few episodes, Adam welcome back.
1: Thank you. Um, I think I've only been away for a couple of episodes, but um, obviously it, it probably feels longer such is my presence.
0: (laughs) Of course, of course. So yeah, no, great to have you back. Welcome. Uh, And also Tom, Tom Robinson, welcome back for this episode. We spoke last week about some young talents. Some of them made an impact this week,
2: no? Yeah, I was pretty happy to see a few of the names we mentioned last week um, doing very well there. So um, yeah, it was a fantastic week and uh, yeah, looking forward to diving straight in.
0: Perfect. Well, let's go straight to Group A uh, and we'll talk about, our collective favourite. I think it's a team that we all have a soft spot for, and they had a opening game against Defensa y Justicia. I'm talking about Independiente del Valle of Ecuador. And Adam, how did how did our favourites do in the opening game?
1: Well, they played excellently. Um, they did fall behind early on to a Carlos Rotondo Rotondi goal. Sorry, um, he he was at Santiago Wanderers last year, uh, Argentine. I think he's about 22 23 he really impressed me actually at at Wanderers last year and he and he got a move to Defensa y Justicia who are in um who are in the Libertadores this year after winning the Sudamericana last year of course and yeah he he took his goal well and Defensa were were one up after seven minutes but for the rest of the game it did look a little bit like a training exercise where Defensa were were living up to their name of just defending, and Independiente de A were were just peppering the goal for for pretty much the the rest of the game. Uh, Christian Ordez, the man who got them to to the group stage with his brilliant goals and performance um, against Gremio in, in the qualifying round, he. He notched a, a brilliant header um, to make it one-one on 28 minutes. Basically, Independiente they puffed and they puffed all through the rest of the 60 minutes of the game. Uh, they had almost 30 shots in total. They had 78% possession, three big chances. They made uh, they made. Over 650 passes. Yeah, so this was this was definitely one of the most dominant displays we saw all week in the libs stories. But unfortunately for them, they, they couldn't quite find a winner. But certainly they've already, for me, put down a marker, certainly with their performances against Grêmio as well in the qualifying round, and this one here, that they will definitely be a very Difficult nut to crack in in this year's Libertadores. What did you make of it, Tom?
2: Yeah, I totally echo those sentiments. I thought the Independiente del Valle were were really really good there, and and you know two great goals in the game as well it must be said Um, particularly as well another player who stood out for me was uh, Jose Urdal uh, the sort of right wing back I thought he did really well was getting some dangerous balls into the box and I think he's only 19. He set up the goal yeah so I think he's only 19 or 20 so yet another young player to to have a uh, look out for as well as Pacho and and Vite um, who both both did well when they were on the pitch, um, but yeah, f- from a defensive D.C. point of view, I, th- I thought it was quite interesting because they're usually a side that does like to dominate possession themselves. Just to so to see this other side of defender soaking up the pressure was was I suppose uh, you know obviously it wasn't ideal but at the same time it showed that they could mix it and they weren't maybe as open as they have been in 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 previous um, tournaments so I I thought that there was some some benefits and some positives to to take from the game they didn't really offer as much in attack as I I would have hoped but you know getting a point away in in Ecuador is is always going to be a good point and and one thing I wanted to sort of ask you, Adam, is if you think that kind of lack of clinical edge for Independiente del Valle, do you think that could potentially be a factor that costs them if they want to go deep in this in this tournament, or do you think there's enough signs there that they're deadly in front of goal?
1: No, I think I think it is a definite worry, and ultimately it cost them last year, didn't it? We we all remember the match against National. They they did score a goal, which was very harshly ruled out by VAR, of course. But it, in that last sixteen clash with Nationale for the dominance they had over the two legs, they should have scored more goals. It's definitely uh, a concern, you know. The players who were in good goal-scoring form in the qualifying rounds, like Montenegro and Faravelli, but yeah, you know, they missed some chances this time around. Who, you know, it, it happens. They, you know, can't be on form every single game. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if uh, if they can find their shooting boots uh, as this as this group goes on. And yeah, then we have to see. Um, you know, later in the tournament if, if if they can find that clinical edge or not. But I'm pretty sure they're going to be all right for the group stage anyway. I, I just think they have just far too much dominance over over six matches not to go for it.
0: the other rivals they'll face in the group uh, universitario of peru and palmeiras of brazil uh, this was a, a really interesting game um a strange one because i thought on 60 minutes uh, universitario would be would be lucky to lose two or three nil uh, and by 75 minutes i thought palmeiras would be incredibly lucky to get anything from the game um it was a game palmeiras dominated throughout much of the game uh, first half all palmeiras they went 2-0 up they were cruising they looked very very comfortable and then the game kind of flipped on its head uh, in a couple of minutes um, it was uh uh, a free kick was given away, uh, a second yellow for Alan Emperorur from the free kick. Enzo Gutiérrez scored moments later. Uh, and you're thinking, OK, this is maybe a game on. Uh, Palminas have taken the lead with a goal from Danilo and, and a really nice strike from Rafael Vega just you know, in the first half. And then they scored early in the second half. And then you're thinking, well, 2-1, maybe we've got a game. <laughs> Universidad Daniel have barely touched the ball. But suddenly they, they've got a man extra. They're just one goal away from maybe getting getting level. And uh, Enzo Gutiérrez gets a penalty, uh, scores it himself again, and it's and it's two zero, and it's all Universitario. And suddenly, Palmeiras are looking shell shocked. It's it's the Palmeiras we saw in the semi final last year. You know, kind of back against the wall, perhaps not with the quality of opposition, but they were they were really struggling for a while as the minutes ticked on. Universitario were creating some chances, and uh, it looked like maybe they might snatch a, a big home win against uh, against last year's winners, but. 95th minute. Uh, by this time, Palmeiras has started to get a bit more control in the game. Kind of, they'd resettled a little bit. They'd organized themselves after the red card, after going level. Uh, and then eventually, Renan scores a, a 95th minute header in the final seconds of the game to, to take the lead and, and give Palmeiras the win. So, very unfortunate for Universitario. Unlucky in the end, but I, I do think that the the red card to to palmirez and then scoring immediately after shows how important momentum can be in these games um so i think i would probably say palmirez deserved the win but when uh, universitario drew level they were suddenly all over the game uh, and it was a very interesting one to follow you know losing one of the defenders uh, and then conceding i think really shocked them but a player who stood up for me was patrick in midfield he is tall and elegant. He's everywhere. He's really impressive. Uh Tom, what did you think of, of this game, this result and anyone stood out for you uh, in that long list of Palmeiras talents we mentioned?
2: Yeah, I think what you said about momentum is is going to be really key because obviously we've got such a shortened group stage this year around. that I think that potentially we might see, you know, a few teams getting into their groove um, and sort of potentially surprising some some teams or or big teams who, who struggle to to get out of the blocks quickly and, and might struggle to get through. So Palmeiras for me are are kind of showing signs of the vulnerability that they've they've shown almost ever since they won the Libertadores. They've they've not been as dominant as we saw them in the early stages of the Libertadores last year. And y Justicia showed that in the Recopa. So I think Palmeiras um I mean I would still expect them to get through this group but i I wouldn't be surprised if they if they make hard work of it, especially given given this result against the uh, yeah universitario side that were very poor um and again i th- I think it's worth mentioning just um how bad the universitario <laughs> kit is this year it's uh, the the shade of off white the kind of creamy off white just um i don't know just gives it kind of a bit of a faded um Worn out kind of feel, so I don't know what you guys think about that, but yeah, it's um, it was it was hard work, but a, a very good way to win it. The you know, eighteen year old defender Renan getting the the head of there in the ninety fifth minute, so very very impressive to see him come on and make an impact. And as well as Patrici de Paola, you mentioned that I, I did like Danilo as well. I, I've I th- I think I probably was in the last to- tournament looking more at Menino, Veron, um, Patrick but yeah I was I kept an eye on and uh, Danilo and and he did well to bundle in that corner and I thought generally he was he was he was very good and and um yeah really exploited the um the Universitario's weakness on set pieces as well which is another key thing I think from this game so what with IDV's really impressive performance um bossing, bossing the possession there and and obviously the defenses record against Palmeiras lately I think this group is, is really set up and, and it's not going to be easy for, um, for, for anyone. So it's, it's kind of living up to the early expectations.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I think I like my Universal cream, quite a subtle cream, kind of just an off white. I think it's okay. with not too much red. For me, there's too much red and too, in... too dark. What, what do you think, Adam?
1: I, I've, I've always thought that that color is the worst um, <laughs> colored kit I think I can think of in the world. It's just such an ugly colour. I don't know why you would have that as like part of your identity.
0: <laughs> well, at least if you put your white, you know, your white shirt in with some red, it can come out of you can say universitario coloured. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it's good for some wear and tear over time. But that kind of weird off-white kind of. Oh, anyway, we're dealing with the big issues in the Copa daughters of off the bat. Uh, <laughs> some fashion advice, universitario. Yeah. gone to group b and adam were you always ready oh, that doesn't even work anyway always ready they won <laughs> oh, <killed> it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a difficult pun to do with always ready it's a hard one to get right uh, what were your impressions of always ready adam were you always ready for that result
1: um yeah i i, I think uh i think in some ways this this was um not that surprising um, I, th- I think we quite often see in the kind of the first week of the Libertadores, especially if the Brazilian or Argentine sides haven't yet started their proper you know, domestic league campaigns, for example, you know, international still just playing um, state league football at the moment. There's definitely always that chance that, a, a club, especially at altitude, can catch them um, a bit cold, and and I think that's what happened here. Um, International never really got to grips with the with the altitude. Um, probably a main reason I tuned into this game really was to see how my favourite Chilean, Carlos Palacios, um, got on. But yeah, he 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 was one of a number of players who really struggled. Um, in, in this one to to, to cope with uh, with the altitude and and the, and the performance of the of the Bolivians always ready as well. Yeah, uh, you know, there's no question that they they fully deserved this win. Um, these are the kind of situations scenarios which which make the Libertadores such a beautiful competition because the Brazilian side must have what a hundred times the budget of the Bolivian side, but you know, put the game at altitude, it soon. Even's uh, the the playing field and levels the playing field, which is uh, which is a great thing to see. But uh, yeah, always ready. You know, they they moved the ball nicely when they had it. They created you know some pretty decent opportunities and and, and grabbed a couple of goals. The uh, the last one to seal it in injury time, if I remember rightly, was a was a very nice strike indeed. So so yeah um, yeah, I think you know looking at this result, yeah, always ready could be a little bit of a dark horse to get out of the group because you know if they can win their home games get on nine points and and if they only need sort of one heroic display on the road and and they, and they might sneak through we can dream we can do they don't even they don't even
0: get to the play at el alto their true home ground they had to go all the way down the hill to la paz <laughs> tom what were your thoughts on this one uh happy to see always ready uh turning on the star
2: you were you were pessimistic about their chances what, what's wrong with you yeah, no, I'll, I'll hold my hands up and say that I was probably not expecting too much for them. But I think, yeah, I was very pleasantly surprised. I mean, it was absolute peak Libertadores, wasn't it? It's it's why we love this competition. There's, you know, altitude has no respect for, for your status. And, um, and yeah, as, as Adam said, I mean, in hindsight, maybe it isn't as much of a surprise as it might have looked on paper because yeah, these results always seem to happen, and and to be honest, Inter deserved to lose for that monstrosity of a an orange away kit. I mean, we've we've ripped into Universitario, so it's only fair that Internacional's horrible luminous orange kit was a uh, gets the same treatment as well. But um yeah, it fair was point. it had <laughs> it had everything you you want really. I mean, Salcedo's goal was just an absolute textbook. Golasso at altitude, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Simon, do you th- do you think we should be worried about Internacional? Is Miguel Angel Ramirez a, a board fraud, or is this just one of those uh, results that you get?
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting, it'll be interesting to see. I don't think it's quite a strong conclusion to jump to early. Obviously, we'll give them a chance to play when they can breathe um, to see if they improve. But you know, obviously, it's it's a it's a concerning start. Some teams are going to overcome the altitude, uh, and some teams won't. But obviously not an ideal start. We'll see what happens. Uh, I, plenty of games to go, and uh, they—they're likely to have spotted that one and said this is going to be our toughest game. So on the positive side, they've got the one out of the way, and I think they'll go into the rest hoping to win. When you said an orange kit, I was like, why would a team that wears red have an orange away kit? <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense. That shouldn't be allowed. Uh, it's basically red, no orange with red stripes. Come on, guys. Um, but there we go. The other game as well. We're talking about financial disparity. We have a Bolivian-Venezuelan one-two in Group B, which I love to see. Uh, Deportivo Táchira got a dramatic three-two win over Olimpia. Um, and just to put in context, now I'm not talking about Táchira in, in particular. But I know there are players, professional players, 13 players in Venezuelan League who earn $200 a month in their contract. That's, the, that's their salary. There are many, many others who haven't been paid in six, seven, eight, nine months, particularly during the pandemic. So it really is remarkable. We're talking about... Literally semi-professional Saturday League players' wages being paid to teams who are winning Copa Libertadores games. So it shows that that money isn't everything. And uh, Tachira really did incredibly well to to get the win. Uh, Tom, what are your thoughts on this game? Tachira three, Olympia two.
2: Yeah, I think you could arguably say this was as big, if not bigger, a shock than um, the other game in the group. Uh, Tachira were were really good in this game and really fun. It was, I wasn't expecting too much of this game, but it it really um, surprised me at um, just how entertaining it was. Olympia went uh, ahead through Ramon Sosa, really nice 21 year old. So probably someone we should have mentioned on the last podcast, but yeah, really composed, finished from, from him. But then they got a really quick response. Lucas Gomez kind of diverted it in after the ball bounced around in the box for a bit. And then Olympia went down to 10 men. um, And to capitalise on that Freddy Gondola the the wonderfully named uh, Panamanian player who was absolutely brilliant all uh, game I think he has got the potential to be a real cult figure in this tournament he's so he's got absolute searing pace he's got really powerful shots and he scored this amazing (laughs) header it was uh, probably about 15 16 yards out from quite an acute angle and just absolutely thumped it into the top corner and I mean maybe the keeper could have done better but yeah Gondola you know, capped off that great performance with a goal there. And then Olympia did really well to to get back into the game and, and Ivan Dores um made it two all. And at that point you you know you would have expected Olympia to see it out. But then um Lucas Trejo um headed in from a set piece. Um Corva actually got two assists um from, from his crosses from the right and he was he was another one who impressed. So yeah, three two, a really big result. And I think actually one of, the, one of the reasons why I was so into this game was right from the first whistle, that the commentator on BN Sports um, just came up with this ridiculous line. He just went, ball is on the ground and moving. We're in the air and cruising. And I thought, okay, here we go. We're, we're in for a treat now because um, he set it up with a, a horrendously cheesy line. Um, but he had this kind of very weird kind of shouty style that was somewhere between probably DMX and Brian and blessed. Whenever anything happened, he was, he was getting very, very excited, um, you know, shouting things like fire. And, um, and there was one moment where Gondola had the ball and he's, he said, he's taking a drive up the coastline Alvaro looking to slash his tires so i mean that was just a, a wonderful if ridiculous to, uh, soundtrack to the, to the game ah oh, he he was sensational I, I would say if anyone i think it was on the bn sports um stream um if anyone gets a chance to to rewatch that then yeah that was a uh, that was one of the highlights of the week for me <laughs> no it sounds like some international superstar soccer commentary
0: back in the day on the playstation just <laughs> <laughs> exactly
2: <laughs> it's a gift of a goal
1: waiting still in
0: danger sounds good okay great so there's there's group b and as as we predicted always ready to, cheer to one two but great to hear and, and yeah the, the panamanian win winger uh Gondola, real interesting player, really good, really tall, really quick, skillful. Yeah, I agree. He should be a lot of fun to watch, and uh, yeah, group wide open already. Oh, yeah. Moving on to Group C. Uh, okay, well let's kick it off Bar- uh, Boca Juniors against the strongest. Uh, this one, uh, not any real surprises. It, it wasn't easy, but they got the job
2: done. Uh, Tom, what were your thoughts on this one? Well, you say it wasn't a surprise, but I don't think Boca have won away in Bolivia for about 50, 50 odd years, so it was actually
1: yeah in the, in the Libertadores. In the Libertadores, I had, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I, and I, and I and I think it's. You have to go back to two thousand and one in like any Ball competition. So yeah, two really long records broken there by Boca by winning this.
2: Yeah, and I think even the Argentinian national team when they beat Bolivia in their their most recent game against them was was the first time in a, in a long time they'd won there. So even though you'd expect Boca to beat the strongest, um, it was still a bit of a landmark victory for them. And I mean, it wasn't a great game by any stretch of the imagination and I was really disappointed with the strongest you know in comparison to always ready they they just didn't look at it at all and didn't offer anything they didn't have a single shot on target in the entire game which kind of sums up how poor they were um but yeah Boca opted for a really youthful team um they left a lighthouse keeper Tevez back in Buenos Aires um and sort of took a load of kids um to La Paz, you know, they started with a midfield of Almendra, Varela and Medina, um, all guys in their early 20s or late teens. And their bench was f- full of kids as well. Um, lots of names that, you know, even seasoned Argentinian football watchers probably wouldn't have recognised too much. But they got a really well taken goal early on from Sebastián Mija. Um not always the most composed in front of goal, but he, he finished really nicely and it was a really beautiful pass from Almendra to, to set him up as well. And, and Visa was, you know, the ideal kind of forward that you want for this type of game because he was he was always offering lots of running. He gave Bocca that threat on the counter-attack. And again, he had a couple of good chances early in the second half that could have really sealed the game. But yeah, Bocca will be really, really happy with, um, with the result there. Um, but yeah, not a game that I would sort of Tell people to go and watch the highlights of.
0: Okay, well, a game which I, I did quite enjoy was uh, Santos against Barcelona of Ecuador. Uh, again, it was a, it was an impressive performance from Barcelona. They really put a lot of pressure on Santos and that was really key in the victory. Uh, also, an important factor was the monsoon conditions. Uh, with all of the, the, the mist and the, the, the water dripping down and the, the the rain, it looked as though there were flares in the stadium. It took me back to some Libertadores glory days with all of the flares and the fans. So looking forward to hopefully having that back soon. But yeah, the water was a, a sudden downpour in, in Brazil and it, and it had, a, had an impact on the game. In fact, Barcelona had a goal denied by a puddle. Um, The goalkeeper came out, they got the shot off, it was rolling in and it kind of hit a puddle in the penalty box and and slowed down and that would have been the perfect start. But uh, eventually they did open the scoring and again, it came from some really good high-intensity pressing uh, from the front, from Barcelona. Uh, Really put Santos under pressure and again, I think perhaps early season in, in Brazil, perhaps Santos weren't ready. I also think some of the youth they have. They don't have these huge, big experienced personalities. And I think Barcelona saw some vulnerability there, put pressure on them, won the ball, some nice passing. And uh, Carlos Garces put, put the finish. They, they kept pressing. and, And honestly, they were kind of deserved the result in the end, obviously tricky to go away to Brazil and get the win. But despite not having a huge amount of possession, they had far fewer shots and they really put Santos on the back foot. Uh, Santos, you know, always look vulnerable to Barcelona's counters and the speed Barcelona have out wide on the break um, it had a, played a big role in this game. And, and they got the second goal in the second half. Uh, Parar put it into his own net after a kind of dangerous low cross. was He was put under pressure, deflected, and then went off Parar to go into the Santos net. So, honestly, uh, Santos dominated possession, used it pretty well, got a lot of passes, used it, moved the ball around the pitch quite nicely but but Barcelona had far more you know cutting edge created more chances uh, and yeah I think Barcelona deserved their win so an interesting game which sets up the group quite nicely Barcelona and Boca getting the wins but obviously the strongest could potentially be dangerous with with the altitude Uh, obviously wasn't enough in the first game but they'll get points I imagine at some point uh, particularly at home and then Santos last year's finalist so Group C looks quite open quite even and I think the first round of results sets things up nicely. On to group D. In group D, uh, so we had, well, we had Santa Fe against Junior. Uh, I was thinking, well, Colombian teams had mixed results, and we'll come to some of those in a minute. But in this game, surely we get a Colombian win. Um, but unfortunately, they drew, which doesn't really help either team. I, I just want a Colombian team in the knockout round. I don't care which one it is. <laughs> I don't want Colombian teams to end up bottom of this group. So I was hoping for someone to win. And to be honest, I think probably Santa Fe. Um, are more likely than Junior. Now, Junior obviously have big talent, as we say every single year. Diopolo Gutiérrez is still a good player. Miguel Bója is a good goal scorer. There's a, a lot of quality in that in that side. But I think who's more prepared and more likely to get out of this group and potentially get a win in a knockout round. Uh, I think it's Santa Fe. Santa Fe were more organised. What Santa Fe do well is they defend collectively and attack collectively. When they win the ball they break forward quickly in a block. They're happy to sit off. They won't, you know, Junior had more of the possession, but when Santa Fe win it they they use it well. They have a very solid base and then they have some interesting players in attack. So um I yeah, you know, the Junior opened the scoring. Freddy Hinestrosa hit a really nice shot from outside the box, bottom corner. Um there was a quick reply from Santa Fe, Kelvin Osorio from the penalty spot. Um, and, but I think for me, you know, obviously this game was uh, a home game for Junior. So, you know, Santa Fe, not a terrible result. But for me, I think Santa Fe are probably the more likely of the two. They have the more organised base, the, the more collective structure. And I think they're a team that could cause problems to some of the big sides. While while Junior have probably more talent on the on the team sheet, you know, I, I don't see them ever being in a place to upset the big team just because they lack organisation. They're never greater than the sum of their parts, Junior, and that's the real shame because they have plenty of talent and I think it, it kind of perhaps shows the limitations of the Colombian league. If a team that's so effective and consistently wins games and wins titles in Colombia, but is also consistently short on the international stage, I think that, that perhaps reflects poorly that the the level of the colombian game in terms of tactics because i think that's that's what separates these teams junior don't have a clear system whereas santa fe do but there we go there's my thoughts on that one um let's go tom and your thoughts on that and uh, anything else on that game and also your your thoughts on the fluminense game
2: yeah from from the little i saw of that game it's, it seemed very cage cagey and neither and side really impressed me that much um i did like uh, Velázquez for uh, Santa Fe when he came on, um, but yeah, there wasn't too much to I think worry. The other two uh, teams in this group, uh, Fluminense and River, played out a really entertaining one-all draw. Actually, it was it was probably one of the highest quality uh, games that I watched this week. Um, really, in terms of technical level, not loads of chances but um, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good game. Um, River's first time back at the maracanã now for, I think, since about 1982. So quite um, quite a monu- monumental uh, game, no pun intended. Um, and River really c- bossed uh, the possession, um, really showed that they, they've still got a lot of good elements of this Gajardo side, even though they've lost quite a few of their key players. But at the same time, they've got that capability to switch off at crucial moments and they don't quite have that game management that we've seen from in, them in the past. So even though Fluminense were second best, they they did make it very difficult for River to create good goal scoring opportunities. And I think both sides will, will probably be relatively all right with, with the draw in the first game. Um, so yeah, River took the, Took uh, the lead uh, through a Montiel pen- penalty. Um, really good work from Santos Borre, who sort of chased down a lost cause. And, and Marcos Felipe came flying out of his goal, really unnecessarily, and clipped him. And then, yeah, Montiel got tucked away the penalty. Shows what an important player he is in so many aspects for River at the moment. It'll be a big loss when he eventually moves on. And then yeah, I thought Dela Cruz was brilliant for River. Uh, Enzo Perez is also very good. Um promising sub appearance from Santi Simon, an 18-year-old who who's only just getting into the first team and is definitely one to watch. Whereas Fluminense kind of just relied on flashes of brilliance from their from their young, wide attacking players, Kaiki, who's who's obviously off to Manchester City now, and um Luis Enrique, really, really quick feet and an absolute searing pace as well um and then as he often does fredgy uh, popped up with a goal it was actually a really nice counter-attack um and mainly thanks to the sort of lovely weighted ball from juan caceres who, who came back to haunt river he used to play for many years ago um and yeah both keepers made some one sort of big save each as well to kind of keep the scores level But yeah. Um, an entertaining game, and, and I think both these sides, having watched the other game in, in Colombia, will probably fancy their chances of, uh, of getting through.
0: <laughs> okay, well, let's move on to group e i'll stay with you tom uh rentistas against racing how tell me about this game
2: well i wish it was as lovely as those rolled ours you yeah you just did there simon it was a it was not a great game to be honest um i mean a huge result for the uruguayan minnows to be fair their first ever point in the libertadores and, and they almost got all three as well um racing really weren't very good and, and i they're not as good as the side that we saw last season. Uh, they're still sort of trying to work out their identity and and they're not sort of one thing or the other really. And, and they left it really late to spare their blushes. Um, so, yeah, good, good goal from Salomón Rodríguez, 21-year-old striker, sort of you thought the ball was getting away from him, but he just kind of managed to stretch and throw himself at the ball to turn it goalwards and, and maybe just surprise the keeper there. But either way, a smart finish to, to give them the lead. Um, and there were some nice moments from Franco Perez, really um, talented 19 year old who some nice dribbles and, um, and then Racing went down to 10 men. Um, and you kind of thought, oh, are they going to suffer a really embarrassing loss here? But they, they pulled it out of the fire with, um, with a goal right at the death. Um, Caceres, a young 20, 20 year old right back, got a bit of the Gabby Mercado um, about him, I think, you know, not just because he doesn't really have much of a neck, but um, he's that kind of full, solid fullback who can also play uh, in the centre. Um, and he got, got on the end of a Maxi Lovera corner and and to be fair yeah the, the did have other chances that they could have maybe even won the game so yeah not too much um to take home from this this uh game and uh i think uh it shows that rentistas might not be the whipping boys that we expected okay well fingers
0: crossed fingers crossed i think they might be able to give uh, sporting cristal a, a decent game because um while cristal were competitive for much of the game against Sao Paulo. I, I thought Sao Paulo were were, were clearly superior um, in this tie. Uh, they they quite impressed me, uh, fairly quietly, but they went about their business uh, effectively. I just think the the technical difference in quality, uh, combined with the physical advantage that Sao Paulo had, was enough. Uh, Luan Santos gave them the lead. Then uh, Martin Benitez, early in the second half, kind of killed the tie really, made it 2-0. Um you know, uh, Cristal got some chances, they had a decent amount of possession. It wasn't an all dominant Sao Paulo performance, but they were like just a a step ahead throughout. You know, they it was it wasn't a massive disparity, but you just knew that they could step things up. They had a couple of gears above that they could they could go to. Um made it 3-0. There was a Leo Pele last minute red card. But you know, I think Sao Paulo looks quite interesting. They they definitely look controlled in this game, is what I'd say. Duarte made some important saves in goal for Cristal. It wasn't an amazing uh, Sao Paulo performance. I thought Ronaldo was was good on coming from left left midfield as kind of a left wing back. Uh, and Danny Alves is is really good at football. <laughs> I mean, it, it should be no surprise. But you know, he's he's getting a little bit older now. But he's just really good at football <laughs> the 37 year old just very good quality on the ball you know plays from the right midfield but is, is very much kind of a wide playmaker he just has that that step of quality as well so interesting I was I was impressed by Hernan Crespo's man uh, Tom what are your thoughts on Crespo as a manager is this going to be uh is he going to be the missing piece for Sao Paulo is this their year what, what do you think of Crespo as a as an option for Sao Paulo as as manager
2: yeah, I think he's a really talented young manager, plays a, an attractive brand of football and and showed at defence uh, that he had some substance to go with the style. Um, so I'm... I'm Certainly makes me more interested to watch Sao Paulo uh, and a good start. I thought Martin Benitez, as you said, was was really excellent. Um, I think he was the one who sort of carved that little space up for the for the first goal and then the second goal was really nice as well. And when you've got someone like Eder to bring off the bench, it's just an extra le- uh, le- sort of level of quality that you can go to. I thought Crystal were, were a bit unlucky, could have had maybe a couple of penalties at, at a crucial time, but um, yeah, Sao Paulo all the way. And yeah, definitely an, an interesting... I mean, maybe you can't call them a dark horse because they're a huge Brazilian club, but um, maybe one of the less fancy Brazilian clubs that that could... Do something this season.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Then they don't seem to be uh, in the conversation for winning the thing recently. But obviously, <clears throat> they have the resources. They have some good quality players. They're paying Dani Alves <laughs> millions and millions and millions of. I think he's. I think he's worth a lot of that. But it really shows the financial disparity. Um, and you know, why not? Decent manager, good squad. You know, we'll see what happens. <laughs> let's look at Group F. I'll let you start on this one because this is my <laughs> this is my Colombian win. So I'll let you I'll let you set the table on this one. Uh, Universidad Bolívar against uh, Nacional.
1: Yeah. Um, how many times over the years have I come on this podcast? to talk about another disappointing uh, Libertadores defeat for Universidad i I'd say that this time I was very much prepared for it. This was pretty much a game I was expecting. Um, since Gustavo Boyet, the former Chelsea and uh, Tottenham midfielder and obviously had spells managing with Brighton and Sunderland in, in, in England as well. Um yeah, he after a three year absence, his last job was with Bordeaux in France, I believe. Um, he's 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 now found himself in Chile and he came with a big reputation obviously for given that he's basically a coach from Europe, even though he's Uruguayan, you know, he's he spent most of his football career there. Um, so that he came with a lot of expectation as well, and he came promising, sort of high intensity, fun football and attacking football. In in the couple of years I saw, um, and so far we haven't got that at all. And yeah, he his team, apart from twenty mi- the last twenty minutes of the Super final against Colo Colo in his first game, we, yeah, in the league so far they've been pretty dull and de- and defensive, and. In most games, it takes them at least 25 minutes to even have a shot, um, and yeah, this was basically another one of those matches, and the Colombian side Nacional completely deserved their 2 0 victory. Um, if I was to, if you asked me for a score um, prediction beforehand, I think I said it would be something like this. Yeah, fairly comfortable victory for Atlético Nacional. So. Yeah, no surprises here, really. Poet hasn't got any of his ideas across to his side at the moment. The body language of the Cotolica players is dreadful, um, not just in this game, but in the in the last couple. Um, yeah, really, I, Yeah, if I was a Catolica fan, I'd be really worried about their run of dominance in, in the league. Uh, might be coming to an end unless Poet can turn it around. It's very early days, you know. He's only had six matches in charge, but, yeah, know, I haven't seen Católica this bad for, for years. Um, <laughs> although, I am, I, I should mention that I am saying this and slagging them off whilst they sit top of the, of the Chilean league. So it's not like the results have been disastrous, but no, trust me when I say that none of the performances have been particularly convincing. Um, and, yeah, I, I just felt that this this defeat to Atlético Nacional saw it coming a mile off. Basically, um, one shot on target in the ninety minutes, just forty one percent possession, which is ridiculous given the amount of good ball players in that side. Um, who, if you asked them to, could easily dominate a, a game like this, in my opinion. And and that's no reflection on Atlético Nacional. That's just a stylistic choice, I think, from from Cotolica, I wouldn't say they. I think this would always been a difficult game for Catalunya anyway, and they might have lost it even if they went playing attacking football. But just the way they went about it was so predictable and 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 disappointing. I think National had 30, over thirty passes leading to a second goal, and if you watch the footage, yeah, some of yeah the the passing towards the end is decent, but there's a lot of loose passes which a better side. But an organized press inside would, would have easily cut out um, and yeah' it's, it's just it's just a bit of a mess at the moment and um, yeah there's too many players not pulling their weight in my in my opinion either which is perhaps a reflection on their unhappiness with with what's going on at the moment so it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out Liberty stories this year is particularly unforgiving because I think you know there's no real breaks, is there? So you you're going from match week to match week. Um, so we we'll soon find out whether Poyet has what it takes to, to turn this around. But at the moment, I'm very pessimistic about Catolico in this group.
0: Uh, you're, you're bringing me. Down. Let me be carried away. Atlético Nacional dominate the Chilean champion uh, league leaders come on let me let me enjoy this one but yeah, you know, thanks for the the assessment um in terms of Nacional, i think yeah i mean things are starting to fall into place and <laughs> they've got a good defense which is a, a big improvement um i think jerson mosquera was completely oh he's a quality defender being linked with some of the biggest teams in the world um and i think there's good reason why Tall defender, very very dominant. You know his pace as well his recovery speed is incredible. So strong, his long legs just takes the ball and just yeah, he was very very important. Him and Oliveira at the back have massively improved Nacional defensively. Uh, and then Brian Rovira obviously dropping in very deep to receive and, and dictate play. While Palasa uh, Osorio compared Palasa to Paul Pogba and that, and it was a Paul Pogba esque through ball from Palazzo to set up the first goal so I think Nacional looking really good Andres Andrade is in incredible form and he's such a good playmaker very quick very dynamic for me he's one of the real reasons to watch Nacional uh Jalen Barrera as well is on good form with his passing likes to take lots of risks but yeah this was a very comfortable win for Nacional
1: yeah what 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 (laughs) I would say is that I do expect Nacional to win this group fairly comfortably um so I, I, th- I think if Katonica can get their act together a little bit, they they might stand a chance against the other two who didn't particularly impress me. But yeah, um, yeah, I think I think uh, I think I'll be quite surprised now if Nacional didn't comfortably win this group.
0: Yeah, that's great to hear, and it's been it's been a very quick recovery for Nacional. Guimarães has done a, a very good job, and you know part of it's I think good fortune players sitting you know fitting into the position they've been playing in very well you know sometimes you create a system and it looks great in theory but he's done very well and the players done well very very well to adapt Bangueda left back Candela right back I don't think we're quite 2016 levels yet but you know it's a team that's well balanced it works the question is you know Jefferson Duque has been scoring a lot in the league um, but can he do it does he offer enough as a striker? Uh, Alves Alves is another good option but you know is he does is he going to win you the Libertadores is he going to get you to the quarterfinal stage we'll have to see but so far with the quality Nacional have they're the one Colombian team that is meeting expectations is getting the most is getting more out of the the players they have than than you'd expect to be possible so so far so good for Nacional it was looking tricky in the the qualifying stage at some points but they rose to the challenge and, uh, you know, they've come into the group stage in good form. I think that perhaps the the qualifying stage can be useful at times to kind of get some Libertadores games under your belt, have some difficult challenges and, and kind of get the confidence, the momentum we've spoken about. So, you know, Nacional looking pretty good. Tom, what about the other Nacional uh, who played against Argentinos? How, how was that game in Group F?
2: Yeah, not so good. Um, it was uh, two teams who um, I kind of expected Nacional to be the better of the two, but it was actually a bit of a surprise that Akin Juniors really took the game to them and, and were the, the better side. Um, I think it's such a tight group. Um, it might not be the most exciting group from a, an outsider's point of view, but um, with Atletico Nacional looking like they're probably going to be the the best side here. I think there's three very evenly placed sides who absolutely any one of them could get through. And this was a real um, solid start for Argentina's juniors. You know, Avalos and Herrera with two really nice goals Um, and and generally Nacional very underwhelming, maybe because they're still trying to get used to the new manager that's just come in and integrate some of the new players. But um, I expected more from them, if I'm honest. Um, Probably the sort of key turning point in the game was um, Lucas Chavez keeping out a really good um, effort from Bergesio after some, some fantastic work by Brian Campo, who was probably one of the the few bright lights for Nacional um, and then kept the score at one nil at that point, for Farkandinos and, and then they sort of uh, saw out the game with some, uh, some nice goals, even though they were down to uh, down to 10 men at that point. So um, Yeah. Don't see either of these sides being a huge protagonist in this tournament, but um, Arcondinos Juniors, hey, maybe they'll maybe they'll put up a good fight for for second place.
0: Them. let's come back to you tell me you saw Flamengo Vélez right what were your thoughts on this one uh, Flamengo off to a off to a good start
1: yeah this was a this was a really entertaining um, game it, it, it swung both ways um, two pretty decent football sides um, and yeah I, th- I think it probably got just about the right result in the end and um, Flamingo's class ultimately, ultimately told, but yeah, v- Velez certainly, certainly gave the 2019 champions a, 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 a real match here, and um, yeah, f- Flamengo, you know, f- they were the side who looked to dominate possession it, 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 in the game, but they didn't have it all their own way, and Lucas Jansen, 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 must be Janssen, though. Um, who who grabbed uh, who grabbed a couple of goals for for Velez, um, and yeah, he he was pretty impressive all round on the night. And uh, but although Velez led twice, um, and the second goal that Velez scored saw Flamengo players um, really protest it. They they were convinced it was offside, um, but replays showed that Janssen was was definitely on. And, um, and, uh, yeah, basically, i just, I think it was only sort of a couple of minutes later, um, the goalkeeper, um, basically conceded a pretty stupid penalty. And, um, and, yeah, and, and uh, who was it who took the, oh, yeah, Gab- and Gabby Gold, Gabriel Barbosa, he, he converted the penalty to make it 2 2. And then there was a fantastic, Winner at the end by the Uruguayan um who who, yeah, who hit a shot into the, into the top corner um, to, to to win this game. And like I say, it was it was just about deserved for Bra- Brazilians, um, who you would expect to 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 win this group. Um, Pretty comfortably, I would say, um, especially as this is I believe, the, the hardest game that, they, that they're they probably going to face. Maybe the altitude in Quito might give them one or two problems. We did see them get thrashed in, in the altitude in Quito last year by Independiente de Valle, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was fairly impressed with Velez as well, who I, I'm expecting to probably go through in second in this group. Um, what, what were your thoughts, Tom?
2: Yeah I think it was one of the games I was most looking forward to seeing and it and it lived up to the billing and I'd agree with everything you said there Adam ultimately Flamengo's greater quality you know wins out and no better way of displaying that through that absolutely magnificent golasso from De Arrieta so yeah I, I don't think Vela's will be too unhappy about the result though they'll, they'll have thought that we've you know given one of the best Teams on the, uh, in the continent a really good game, and they'll fancy their chances of, of getting through. Certainly, um, I thought um, Gerson for Flamengo was uh, he had moments where he was just head and shoulders uh, above the rest. Um, some really, well, really nice assist for the first goal, and he almost set up another one right after that. And when you see him sort of ticking in the middle of the park, then then Flamengo, uh, you know, are a real Tough team to 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 beat, and and Gabby Goal obviously provides a bit of ed- edge up front. His haircut is, um, yeah, it's kind of the early stages of an Allen Saint Maximan. Um but um, you know he's he's doing the talking on the pitch as as well as in the barber, and um, I think just like in the league they. Even though they weren't necessarily the best, they've got that extra depth, uh, strength, and depth to to kind of see them over the edge of uh, of these tight games. So, yeah, really, really uh, fun game to watch, and um, I'm hoping uh, that Velez can, you know, hit that level some more, but um, pick up the points and and you know cut out some of those defensive mistakes. But uh, yeah, I think this group is is one that everyone's looking at for a, a really entertaining really entertaining matches and and certainly other, the other game in the group was uh, was pretty entertaining as well uh, wasn't it Adam?
1: Yep um, it was it featured Unión Nacalera playing their first ever Libertadores match so it's a real yeah obviously it's a huge shame anyway that all these Libertadores matches are taking place without without fans in, in the stadium as with most football worldwide due to the pandemic but you know for, for a club like Unyan you know, Calera to be playing their first Libertadores game and and to have no fans there was was a bit of a shame to see, but this was um, definitely one of the most entertaining games um, of the Libertadores opening round, and yeah, Vilches put Unyan Calera one up on on eighteen minutes, pouncing on a on a parry from the from the uh, Liga de Quito uh, goalkeeper. Um, and it was a really impressive first half display from Unión Calera, who who pretty much dominated. Um, certainly, the first thirty minutes, um, it looked like the Ecuadorians hadn't really turned up uh, at that point. They, um, then, sort of either side of half time, uh, Liga de Quito had a bit of a spell in in the game. Um, Palata really really caught my eye down down the wing for fully got the Quito and um, and he set up the first goal for Biliarse, which was a which was a nice which was a nice folly. Then and La Calera sought control of the match again and went and went two one up. Nice finish from Vilches. But late on in the game, with just a few minutes remaining, Billy Arce with a cross come shot, um which which found its way um in, in into 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 the net with Martin Alexis Arias completely misjudging it. Um, the Unión de goalkeeper, yeah, he just completely misjudged it as well. But yeah, I, I was pleased with some of the performances of these uh, Unión Aguilera players, especially Esteban Valencia in 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 midfield. He, he his performance really. Impress me, and um, yeah, it was kind of the energetic display local Calera needed in that midfield because they've lost their talisman really uh, over the last couple of years, which was Juan Leva. He he's gone to Catolica and he was like the engine in that midfield in the in the last couple of years. But um, yeah, he's now been he, he's now moved on. So it was important that they found that, that, that they found solutions, and um, yeah. Weinberg, who made his debut for Chile last month, he really impressed out down the left as well. Yeah, uh, Jason Vargas, who was once Chile's next big hottest thing in in Chilean football like, a few years ago when he came through at Católica, he's showing signs in in sort of um, in the last few months playing for Unión Calera. But, but he might suddenly be coming good. Um, a lot of Chilean players tend to be quite late developers. I've mentioned that on the pod before. And uh, and yeah, he had a pretty good game sort of um, in the hole behind Vilches and Rivero up front. So yeah, um, it was a, a Castellani, um, the, the playmaker for Union Eclair. He, he also impressed. Should give him a shout out. So yeah, um overall I thought that Uni and La Calera certainly deserve to win this game they'd be a bit disappointed well they'd be very disappointed I think that they but they only drew in the end especially as on paper this looks to be their easiest game so it's it only gets harder from here on in but they have to go to flamengo next week and uh, and face flamengo in America now which will be uh, quite experience. <laughs>
0: So finally, we have group H, um, so Cerro Potenio America. Uh, uh. (laughs) so America de Cali played some really, really nice football until they got anywhere near the penalty area. And then it it just kind of stopped and uh, they didn't get any further. America are really, really missing a number nine at the moment. Uh, they have Adrian Ramos, who's not yet available. He's been injured. Now he would help a lot. This is Adrian Ramos who played for, uh, for Dortmund. You know, it's one of the top goal scorers in Europe five or six years ago but still a player who has good movement and and looks to to make something happen they started with kind of a false nine uh it, i wasn't even particularly clear who the intended number nine was because they had five attacking midfielders you know the the team sheet had it as uh you know they had santiago moreno in advance there uh, it was difficult to tell basically everything looked good but they had they never looked like they were going to score uh america de cali Limited to some long range strikes. And you know, partly that is down to a lack of movement in the final third. Partly that's down to ha- not having a number nine available um, because they, they don't really like Aldeia. They brought in Aldeia. Who would have thought signing the B nationale star striker wouldn't be the, the answer to all of your solutions? But Aldeia Rodriguez has not really settled. Um, so they're really missing a number nine. They have a lot of good attacking midfielders Moreno, Duan Vergara. You know, there's a lot of interesting players. Jason Carrera is a good quality player. Uh, Paz can break into the final third. Luis Sanchez can potentially run beyond the defence. But if you don't have anyone to occupy the defenders, then it's quite easy to see all of these uh, kind of number 10s, these wingers breaking into the final third. They also didn't really have the the, the, the options they needed at fullback. You know, Cristian Arrieta is very good on on the right, but Pablo Ortiz is a a centre-back. And he played like a centre-back. He's a very, very good young centre-back. I think the problem is they they have um, Kevin Andrade and Pablo Ortiz, who are both really exciting, top-quality defenders. But they're both centre-backs. And they don't want to put in a couple of 20-year-old uh, central defenders on their own. So they pick Marlon Torres, who's a good player as well. But they just didn't have that balance on the left, um, which would have been useful because, as I say, Cerro set back and defended, um, but they also looked... They did it with style. <laughs> it was a very good, high quality defensive performance. And then when they broke, they created more clear chances than America did. You now America had sixty-nine percent of possession. You know, you look at the numbers, eleven shots, sixty-nine percent of possession, you know, six hundred passes almost, you think this is a great performance, but America never looked like they were gonna score. You know, there was one chance for Moreno in the second half and a, a long-range shot which was well saved. Um, but it was all Porteño on attack, despite not touching the ball for, for minutes and minutes at a time. And I, and I think maybe that's the difference. You know, we, we spoke about how uh, Catolica struggled you know, at times to get hold of possession, and, and that was a damning indictment of, of their play. But sometimes not having the ball isn't a problem when you're so well-organised and so ready to, to counter-attack and so comfortable. And that, in this case, was the case for Cerro. Going away to Colombia and, and winning as well as they did uh robert morales scored a really nice volley to open the scoring uh and they made it two in the the final minutes um the the second goal Ankiel cardoso uh it was a it was a cross to the far post and and it was headed back across and and he scored but the <laughs> the america players completely followed the ball in that instance now 90th minute chasing a goal you can maybe understand but yeah it was it was poor from america on the second goal and uh Borselli could have made it two as well before they did get the second goal. So it could have been even more for Cerro. So, America, very, very impressive, progressing the ball, using the ball, but no no cutting edge. Lots and lots of nice football, but, but nobody in the box and, and no real idea or clear... Clear plan to to off you know to create issues for for Cerro. You know they've been getting goals in the league, but it's been moments of individual brilliance have always been required, and you can't really rely on that um, in order to, to to progress in the Libertadores. So perfect job from Cerro. Clear issues for America, despite some good play. And they deserve three points for the the visitors. Tom, the final game, I'll go to you first. Uh, Atletico Minero Deportivo La Guaira. An interesting game, a very competitive game, no?
2: Yeah, it was another really good performance by the Venezuelans this week. Um, That's been a bit of a theme. Um, And I think... Yeah, you you would have certainly expected Min- Mineiro. have got a really good side, lots of good players in there to have come away with a win. So, yeah, really really promising start for the Venezuelans. A really nice goal as well to to take the lead. Um Luis Martinez who's who's a center back, he actually scored one of the best goals of the week. He he sort of intercepted a ball that was that was coming out um for you know in Mineiro's half. He sort of stole stole a march uh strided forward sort of ghosted past a few players and you were you were sort of willing him on and he and he then sort of just curled out this beautiful um shot into the uh into the far corner and even he looked quite surprised that he just pulled off um (laughs) that piece of skill so uh that was that was definitely um yeah one of the highlights there but uh mineiro always always going to cause a uh a threat going forward and, and eventually they got one back um, Matias Aracho um, really good young Argentinian midfielder who's not kicked on as much as we would have hoped um, since he left Racing um, it always seemed like a bit of a sideways step and then not to get the game time was was a bit of a, a strange one but um, hopefully that goal will boost his confidence and, and boost his chances of, uh, of getting in that midfield regularly um, so yeah um, not not the end of the world for Minato i think they'll they've seen the other game and um and, and fancy themselves at home to to pick up lots of points so yeah i think um an interesting one but not not too deci- decisive early on and uh, yeah maybe it just means that um Deportivo La Guaira are, are going to be um a little bit harder to beat especially when they're playing at home and um means that this this group which uh, let's be honest, it's not one, not one of the standout groups at all, but um, maybe it could at least be a, a little bit closer than, than might, we might have predicted at the start of the uh, tournament. A
0: good day for Venezuelans
2: all around. Some interesting results in the
0: Sudamericano as well. Uh, now, again... You know, 28% possession and 29, 29 shots conceded. Uh, it wasn't a dominant home performance, but they were they were in the tie and, and they made things happen. They made it very difficult and they got a point. So, you know, it definitely will give them confidence uh, going into future games because, yeah, I mean, I think they could if they can defend as well as that against America right now. I wouldn't back America to score. And uh, in that case, you know, who knows? Who knows what can happen? Libertadores is always unpredictable, and, and that's one of the reasons why we love it. So that's the end of the show for today. Thanks for listening. Uh let's go round and, and say our goodbyes. Adam, thank you for joining us. Welcome back. You're not too rusty. You still you still still put in the performances. All the experience came to the fore there, and uh you did a you did a great job. So thank you. And anything you'd like to plug or mention before we say goodbye?
1: Um yeah, just a couple of things to to plug. Um there's my newsletter called Pachanga. That looks at... All things uh, Chilean football, week to week, um, sort of roundups on everything happening in Chilean football. So, uh, yeah, please sign up to that. It's on Substack. Um, if you just look at my Twitter feed, you'll 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 see a link there to it as well. And yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at adambrandon eighty four. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. And um, yeah, it's been a been a pleasure to be on, sort of on the other side of things.
0: No, absolutely. Always welcome, of course. Great to have you involved uh, and check that out. Yeah, I'm subscribed. I enjoy those those messages. It makes me it gives me something to say about Chilean football because you know there's lots of leagues going on. So it's great to have that that update, the key information, and, and kind of you know get 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 an idea of what's happening in, in a really excellent concise form uh, about Chilean football. So I fully recommend that. Also, Thomas. Robinson, thank you for joining uh, us today. Anything you'd like to say or plug before we, we leave?
2: No, that's, that's fine, and uh, always always appreciate hearing my full name there as well. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at TomRobo89. Um, lots of stuff up there. There's been um, plenty of stuff on World Football Index lately. A piece on Brenner in Cincinnati. A piece on Uruguayan players, and obviously the uh, the podcast that we did um, before the Libertadores kicked off about some of the young talents to look out for. So I would uh, certainly point everyone in the direction of all the great continent content on world football next right now
0: perfect uh great and so on me for me you can follow me on twitter at simon edwards saf also give a follow i'm going to do austin's plug for him uh for at the libertadores and at the sudamericana for all of the the official content and there's some articles obviously we put out an article as well on the libertadores uh, about all of the teams so if you want some more information you can check that out as well And obviously the Patreon as well has some extra content. So go have a look at that. You can find information on the website. uh, And that's additional content that comes out every month, which is always good fun. We should hopefully be back again next week. Lots of games, lots of things happening. Uh, And so thank you for, for joining us. And thank you for following the greatest international club competition in the world. Forget the Champions League, forget your Europa Super League nonsense. The Copa Libertadores always provides the shocks and the upsets and uh, is always competitive. None of the big giants found it easy this week. Some of them lost, some of them drew. So that's the joy of South American football. and, And thank you for enjoying it with us. And we'll be back again next week.